Hello, everybody, and welcome to Method Meets Magic Radio with Jess and Dan. However, today we have no Dan because Dan has been on a boat in Malta over the weekend, and now he is in Florence, Italy, so he's out enjoying life. Um, so I am on here today solo with our guest, Kristen Hadid. Um, before we get started interviewing Kristen today, I want to just remind everybody out there on the radio waves that you can find us on Facebook, Method Meets Magic. That is our Facebook page. You can also go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Method Meets Magic. Drop us a line. Let us know. What are you enjoying? Um, what do you want to hear more of? What is it that, um, you know, any questions that you have for guests, I will post the guests on Fridays and on Mondays. So if there's a question that you have when you read who the guest is, like go ahead and post a question below or shoot us a message. We are here to serve you. We are here to help you to grow in your life in the ways that you desire to grow. And um, we would we would love to hear from you. If you have any um, guests that you're like, oh, this person so inspires me and I'd love to hear them on the show, go ahead and let us know. We'll see, we'll see what we can do, how we can work our magic. Um, so today I'm super Super, super excited. We have Kristen Hadid on the show. She is the CEO and founder of Student Made, a cleaning company that has employed thousands of millennials over the past decade and has no, is known for building the next generation of leaders. In addition to leading her own company, she now helps organizations around the world make a lasting, meaningful impact on people by creating environments in which they thrive. Kristen has worked with a variety of industries, including healthcare, education, retail, real estate, nonprofit, hospitality, aviation, and consumer products. In 2017, Kristen published her first book, which I'm a huge fan of, Permission to Screw Up, in which she tells stories of her biggest mistakes in leadership. She hopes to inspire other leaders to share their perfectly imperfect stories of success to empower people with the knowledge that their most challenging moments can become their biggest leadership lessons. Kristen and Student Made have been featured in news outlets including PBS, Fox Inc., NBC, Time, and Forbes. Her first TED Talk has received more than 3 million hits on YouTube. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Be on the show today. Yeah. I'm um, something big. You have something big coming up this week for your company, right? I do. What are you guys celebrating? We are celebrating 10 years in business, which blows my mind a whole decade. You know, I, I remember I, when I started the company, I was, I mean, 10 years ago, so I'm 31, you know, I was 21 years old, and I remember thinking, I hope we make it to one year, you know, and, and so to be sitting here and just thinking that it's been 10 years, it kind of feels surreal. I bet. I can only imagine. I actually would love to start out today um, because you kind of, you didn't set out with the intention of creating a business in the beginning from, from, um, you know, what I read in your books, I'd love to tell for you to tell us a little bit about how you got started doing what you do. Sure. Yeah. I definitely never, ever thought that I would be the owner of a cleaning company. And, you know, if someone would have told me that in college, Hey, this is what you're doing after you graduate. I would have cried and said, please, I, I want, I want something else. Not that. Um, I, I was very lost in school and, thought that success, you know, at that point in my life, I thought success was about making a lot of money. And so I, I was on this quest to find a job that would lead to the biggest salary. And, and I had heard that investment banking was a really good job to have for that reason. And so 
I majored in finance, and my plan was to move to New York and work on Wall Street. And one day, my life changed without me realizing it in the moment. I went to the mall, even though I, I should have never been there because I had absolutely no money to my name. Um, went to the mall, and I fell in love with a pair of jeans that I just, I saw them in the window and I, I thought, I, I don't know what it is about these jeans, but I will do whatever it takes to buy them, to, to make the money to buy them. And the first idea that popped into my mind was to clean someone's house. And so that's kind of how this whole thing started, just to buy these jeans. So I cleaned this woman's house. I put an ad on Craigslist. I had no clue what I was doing. She had a 4,000 square foot house. I mean, disaster. I, I, <laughs> I showed up with I showed up with a sponge and a bottle of Windex and a toilet scrubber, and that's all to clean a 4,000 square foot house. And, uh, but she paid me, you know, I bought the jeans. I thought that was it. And then she ended up needing help on a regular basis. And she actually taught me how to, how to clean. So it was like a perfect, you know, setup. So then she told her friends about me and, but it was just a side gig. It, it, it was never in my mind a career. It was just a way to make money to save for New York. And the real turning point happened right before I graduated. I got this contract to clean empty college apartments. It was something like 800 apartments and we had 21 days to do the work. And I hired a team of 60 students to help me, which sounds a lot harder than it was. I just put an ad on Facebook and, you know, students need flexible jobs. So it was super easy to get a team of people. But it, but I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had no leadership experience, hardly any business experience. 45 of the people walked out on me. And that for me was the most defining moment of my life so far because it made me really curious about how do you make a business like this work? And how do you, even though the job is cleaning, how do you make people excited to come to a workplace where that's what your job is? And how do you become a better leader? And I think it was that summer that really changed the whole trajectory of my life and is the reason I ended up turning down a job in finance um, to continue growing this company to see, see where it would take me. I, first of all, wow. Um, and second <laughs> of all, I want to rewind a little bit because I think you probably were better off at that point than most college students I know who probably like even having Windex and a toilet bowl scrubber is much better than many <laughs> of the frat houses that I ever went into in college. Um, so kudos to you for that. <laughs> yeah, um, true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you set out at this point and you, you, what was the, the, motivation. So initially the motivation was, I want to have that pair of jeans. You know, I want to, I want to motivation is looking good, fitting in whatever the motivation is. What inspired you to keep going from there? Yeah, I, it, it started out, like you said, it, it was just to buy this, this pair of jeans. And, and the more that I did it, I, I, I don't really know how to explain it. I was just so excited to meet people and, and work with different clients. And I hired a couple of people before I got that big contract. And I was so excited to work with them. And it, it was, I think it was because I was learning a lot. And I was actually learning a lot more doing that than I was in my, in my classes. But I think when those 45 people walked out on me, that was, that was really the moment for me because I realized, wow, 
clearly I'm not a good leader. 45 people are walking out. So there, that was one thing that really inspired me. I wanted to learn how to become the kind of leader that people did not want to walk out on. And I thought this was a great place to, to learn that because you have a challenging job with it in a challenging industry. If you can get people to commit and stay in a job like that, you, you have to be a really good leader, right? So it, it set me on this quest. And I've always been someone who really likes to learn and grow and always been really passionate about that. So I think that's why... That, that's what did it for me. And I remember when I turned down, I actually got offered a job in finance when I graduated and I turned it down. Everyone in my life, except for my parents, told me I was nuts. I mean, they're like, why would you, you know, not move to New York and stay in a college town and work on a cleaning business? I wasn't making any money. But I just knew that at the very, the very least, I would learn a ton. And so that's what motivated me, even if it failed, right? I, would, I, would, I knew I would learn so much. It's pretty incredible that, um, as you said, that you had this mindset that because in in having 45 people walk out and because I think you had said you hired 60 people, correct? Yes. So 75% of my team quit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, in that moment... And it really takes, I know you said, um, and I think you wrote this on, on Instagram as well about um, like not being a great leader at the time and, and even like flipping that on its head, like you were, that, that is, takes a pretty brave leader to not go, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm, ha- what I'm doing. Like I'm out, like maybe I should quit this. This isn't, I'm, maybe I'm not made for this. Maybe I'm not made for running a business. Um, did you grow up with sort of always having that sort of mindset where it was you figure it out and you want to learn and you see those failures as a reason to keep on growing or is that something that you more so learned mm-hmm. at like as you got older as you as you moved through your business well in the moment so I'll tell you more about what happened when those 45 people walked out and then I'll go back to how it's related to my childhood when they walked out I was initially very angry and I remember thinking, how could they do this to me? You know, I, I was very much the victim in the moment. Then I, I started putting two and two together, and I'm like, well, maybe something's wrong with me. And, and I had a lot of work that still had to be done, so I was also panicking because I had to figure out how to get this work done. So I went to the 15 people who didn't quit, and I told them what happened, and I asked if they could help me figure out a plan to get these 45 people back. And they said they would help me, but I think – Truly, it's because it sounded a lot more fun than cleaning. I, I don't know if they really <laughs> cared for me either. But we came up with this idea that we would have an emergency meeting at my house. And the way we would get everyone there is we would promise them an early paycheck if they showed up because they weren't supposed to get their paycheck for another week or so. So everyone shows up. And I just acted on instinct. You know, I didn't prepare anything. I didn't, I didn't have a whole spiel of what I was going to say. I just... I said, I have no clue what I'm doing. I've never done this before. Clearly, I did something wrong, but I don't know what it was because when you guys walked out, you didn't tell me, and I, I want to be better, but I need your help, and they all came back, and when I tell people this story, they're always like, there's got to be more to the story, but there really isn't more to the story. Now, with everything that I know about leadership, I was human. I, I admitted weakness. I just let my ego get in the way, and that goes back to my childhood because the, the home that I grew up in, my parents very much um, made made us see failure as a positive thing, that it was a chance to grow, it was a chance to build resilience. I remember at the dinner table, we would go around and we would talk about what hadn't gone well that day. And then the next question was, 
okay, if this happens again, what are you going to do? How are you going to learn from this? So it was taught to me from a very early age that the best thing you can do when you mess up is talk about it and admit it and figure out where to go from, from where you are to where you want to be. And that's, that's what I did in that moment when 45 people, you know, quit. And, and so I think what we do as a society is we, we've made it that vulnerability is a weakness. And when you admit that you can't do something, now you're thinking that people don't view you as a credible leader or whomever. And I think it's the opposite. I think when you can admit, hey, I, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, you're courageous. And I think people really want to follow someone who's courageous. Yeah, absolutely. Vulnerability breeds, I think vulnerability breeds trust totally. as well. I mean, if you can admit in that moment that, hey, I totally don't know what I'm doing, but I'm committing to do whatever it takes in order to um, not only, you know, honor your work, but honor who you are as a person and, and within this company. I think that's pretty, um, you know, pretty big for a leader to be able to admit something like that. What was the biggest, um, the biggest lesson that you learned from that specific instance so early on in your company? It, it was a powerful lesson. It, it asked for help. You're not in it alone. You don't have to figure it out all by yourself. And I'm so grateful that I learned that so early on because I think, I really think that's the reason why I can say that we've almost been in business for 10 years. If I had to do it all myself, I don't know if, if we would be even having this conversation because not every, you can't be good at everything. You know, you can't know all the answers. You can't always know the way forward. And if you pretend like you can, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your, doing your team and every, everyone else a disservice because you can't really grow and evolve if you keep everything to yourself. And so anytime I've noticed that there's something that's outside of my strength or I'm unsure of how to move forward or I, I know that I've you know, screwed something up, I invite people in to help me with that. And I say, what do you see and what do you think? And, and I think this applies to business for sure, but also not, not in business. You know, I think even as parents, it's how do we show our children and the people around us that we're not perfect all the time, that we're human? Because I think it, it gives everyone around us permission to be that way. And there's a lot of pressure, especially on young people today, I think, to always have the answers and you have to act like you you know, they say fake it until you make it. And I don't know why we say that because it puts a lot of pressure on you because you, you feel like you have to know everything and no one does. You know, that's, we're, we're all human. Absolutely. And working with, um, first off, that's, I think, beautiful, beautiful um, wisdom to share. I know for myself and having started a business three years ago um, and being somebody, you know, I'm a millennial as well. I'm 30 and, you know, I'm, I think I'm an, I'm an, an older millennial. I think I'm on the older end of millennial spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, asking for help has been one of the most, one of the more challenging parts of my journey, um, you know, in just being uh, I can do, I can do it all myself. And, and you're right. It, the fact of the matter is we weren't born onto this earth by ourselves. We were born into communities with families and there's people around us. So why not utilize people, um, not utilize, but connect with people and celebrate their strengths because then that right. just gives us permission to celebrate more of our own strengths. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so in you, you wrote on, I wanted to highlight for anybody out there who, um, you know, is, is listening to this interview and, you know, Kristen obviously has worked with like 
a variety of different different companies, different types, different types of groups. And something that you wrote, you have out there, if anybody's interested in following Kristen's um, Instagram, she's posting this week about the 10 lessons that she learned from um, biggest 10 lessons that she's learned in the, the past 10 years. And something that you, you wrote lesson number five is around patience. And I think this aligns really nicely with what you were just talking about in that you have to ask for help. You have to keep on growing. But you wrote here, um, the world is so instant, isn't it? We watch, we want to watch a movie, two clicks, and there you go. You want to buy something, it arrives on your doorstep. Need directions, type it into your phone, need the answer, ask Alexa. So how has patience in knowing that sometimes if, if you're an overnight success, I mean, you don't have the infrastructure to be able to support and sustain that type of success. Um, what has being, what does being patient within your own business mean to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't really buy it when people say overnight success, maybe mm -hmm. for some, may, you know, I could be wrong, but I think what really happens is we don't talk about all that it took. So what we see is the success, but we don't see how many times this person fell down before they got there. And, and truthfully, that's why I wrote my book because when I started out in business, I would go to the bookstore all the time. And yes, I read so many incredible books that really helped me and shape my philosophies as a leader. But I do remember feeling alone often because I felt like here I was messing up all the time and all these books I would read. It's like, yeah, people messed up in the beginning, but then now they're here. And why am I still messing up in the middle? And now I realize everyone does that. It's just no one talks about it because it's uncomfortable. And we're fine. We're totally fine talking about the thing that we messed up 10 years ago, but talking about the thing that we're currently messing up. No, I'm not talking about, that. you know, that's, that takes vulnerability. I'm not going there yet. So I think that's the first thing. I think that we, when we look at people that we admire, we maybe don't see all that really went into their uh, success. But I, I remember so many times thinking that I should have been further along than I was, you know, I had 20 employees, I wanted 200. I had you know, this much money in my bank account, I wanted it to be triple. We were in a stinky warehouse space, I wanted to be in my dream office space. And I felt like these things should happen overnight because that's how the world is. Like the thing you just read from my Instagram, you know, it's you, you two clicks and there it's on your doorstep. Why isn't everything else like that? But the reality is our careers and, and things that are meaningful, like building a business, building relationships, building a name for yourself, they take time. And I think patience is like the test. It, 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 do you want it? You know, are you willing to invest the time? Are you willing to fall down and get back up? Are you willing to learn the lessons that are required for you to be successful? I think if you're willing to put in the time and do the work and let go of the timeline that it, it needs to happen by, you will, you will always get what you want. It might take a long time, but you'll get it. And I think the reason that many people don't get it is because they give up because they think it should happen faster than it than it's happening. So um, it's not easy. Even today, I look at where I am and I'm like, I should be further, but I just have to surrender to where I am and I try to tell myself what's the one baby step I can take today that is going to lead me down the path that I I want to go down. And and that's it sounds as simple, but for me, it's really helped. Um, and I, I try to, I really try hard not to compare myself to other people because I, I remind myself, you're not seeing the whole story. You don't know what's gone, you know, you're, you're comparing to what you think is true, but it's 
probably not the whole truth. I love this. Thank you for this conversation and for bringing up so many beautiful points because, you know, and even being, you know, looking at someone's Instagram and saying, wow, like Kristen has so many followers and she's traveling and she's speaking and she's doing all of these things. I think no matter where we are in our process or our journey, you could always have more. Like I'm sure Oprah somewhere along the way is probably, I feel like Oprah's the example everybody uses, but I mean, she's still growing too. Everybody's still growing. And I think, you know, looking at a, a business, especially when we think about a baby, like a baby has to go through so many different steps and milestones before it even gets to the point where it's ready to walk and to be able to explore the world in a different way. And then to be able to talk and, you know, there's, there's steps and stages to everything. And so I think, um, you know, I, I love that advice. What's my next baby step? What is, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is there, what more is there for me to learn? Is there anything else that you personally do for yourself? I know you've shared a lot pretty vulnerably on, on Instagram as well around your journey of taking care of yourself. So in what ways do you find that, um, you know, what has that journey been like of having a business and yet also learning to really care for and take care of yourself when you're on the go as much as you are? Yeah. Well, I think, something that's a a newer thing for me that I've been practicing, I would say maybe the last year or so is gratitude. And I'm not saying that I was never a thankful, I've always been a thankful person, but really stopping to appreciate small moments that maybe I would have overlooked. Every morning when I wake up, I start my day with 10 things that I'm grateful for. And I pick the number 10 because it's challenging to think of 10. It, It makes you really have to think about the little things. And this is kind of related to the patient topic because it has made me see that sometimes when I'm in that negative self-talk and I'm like, I should be here. I remember how this gratitude exercise makes me remember how there was a day that I wished I would be where I was now and I'm here and I should be grateful for that. You know, like I remember wishing so badly that I could be on a radio show one day, you know, and here I am like doing this with you and it's, it's nothing. And, and so I, tomorrow, this will be on my gratitude list that I had the opportunity to do this. And there was a time when I never had this opportunity. And so I think gratitude is huge and it can really cause us to see little things. And it's especially good for when we're having a rough day, I think, turning our mindset around. Um, Also, in addition to leading my company, I am a speaker and a consultant. And that's actually what I spend most of my time doing. So I travel all the time. I live out of a suitcase practically. And last year, that really took a toll on me. And I I realized what I was doing is I was serving everyone else instead of serving myself. And I mean, last year, I did close to 100 events, plus leading my company. So I I practically ran myself into the ground. And what I've learned is you can't be the best leader, the best parent, the best partner, the best spouse, the best anything if you're not the best you. And I, it's not selfish to put yourself first. You can't, you know, it's a classic saying, you can't fill anyone else's cup if your cup isn't full, but it's so true. And what I've, what I've recognized is I can't just hope that self-care happens. I have to intentionally schedule it. So I, for me, what that looks like is every morning I do all the things that I have to do to feel good about myself, which, which is gratitude, writing, working out, um, having a healthy breakfast, 
And I make sure that I'm serving myself first. And then, and then after that, I will give my all to everyone else. But I can't if I haven't given it to myself first. And that's taken me a long time to, to be okay with because my mentality has always been I need to be selfless. You know, and as a leader, I am selfless. But sometimes you have to be selfish, especially because it'll, it'll make you a better leader. I love that. Yes. I'm like doing sorority snaps over here. I'm like, yes, so much. Yes. Um, I love that you said, I can't just hope self-care happens. Like I hope that I'll have time to do X, Y, Z thing. I, um, yeah. it, it has to be intentional. It has to be, I wish there was another word instead of selfish that we could, I know. Use. I feel we're going to, I'm going to have to, we'll have to come up with something. I'm sure there's a better word out there than that, but it is, it's full. I mean, being really being full of yourself so that you have something of yourself to be able to give or to yeah. be able to serve other people. Um, and if, and if you like to read, if anyone listening is a reader, I, I'm a, I'm, I love reading. That's another part of my self-care routine. I, I try to read a chapter of a book every day, but there's a book I just read called the now habit. And I can't remember the author. His name is Neil, but I don't remember his last name. But the book is actually about procrastination um, and why we do it. But he has this chapter called The Unschedule. And what he says is what happens is we view work as the thing taking us away from life. And so then what happens is we resent our work. We procrastinate. We, you know, we feel depleted. And we resent the work because it's taken us away from self-care, from life. So he suggests doing something called an unschedule, which is you schedule your life first and then work goes around it. And it's so awesome. I actually had my whole team read this book and we're all doing it together. So every week I look at my week and I schedule in, okay, I'm going to meditate here. I'm going to do my gratitude here. I'm going to, you know, get my nails done here or massage here. And then I schedule everything else around that. And now it's more, I, you know, I don't think about it that way because I'm, now I'm in the habit of it, but it really changes your perspective. And it, and I think it makes, you not resent work so much. So maybe try that. If you're, if you're someone who struggles with this, to unschedule. I love that. And his name is Neil Fiore, I think. Yes, F-I-O-R-E. Yes. Oh, and I love that concept. I'm going to give a shout out um, to somebody that we both know. Jen Moxley is a, um, a dear friend. And I know that you had met her last year um, at an event, but she and I had been talking um, maybe like six months ago about, the things that feel good for us. So like getting my nails done or something like that, that is a, a self care, but it also, it may, it helps me to feel that sense of confidence when, within myself when I go to an event or do something like that. And we were talking about how, when, you know, I cut something out of my schedule or I cut something out of my budget that actually really feels good and helps to, you know, getting your nails done or your hair done or whatever. It doesn't uh-huh. give you confidence, but I think it can truly support me, um, you know, when I'm out connecting with people and just feeling good about myself and yeah. how um, it's really important to do those things for ourselves. Because again, you, you, as a leader, you're setting an example for, I'm sure for you, you know, your, your entire team, as well as the people that you're going out and you're connecting with and you're training and you're inspiring. And I think as a leader, it is important to um, really take care of yourself because you are the example. Totally. 
Yeah. So there's, I want to um, switch gears a little bit because one of something that you wrote um, recently was money matters and it doesn't um, mm-hmm. at the same time. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what that means um, for you. So glad you asked about this one. So this is one of my 10 lessons that I shared and it, and it, it's been a lesson that I've had to learn over and over and over um, until I finally got it. And, and I think for me, I am, I am definitely someone who is programmed to be more of a culture person. And I, what I mean by that is I want everyone in my business to be happy. I want them to love their job. I'm more programmed to think about how to do that than to think about how to meet this revenue goal or this profit margin percentage. And so um, what that looked like for a long time was spending money that I didn't have. People wanted to make more. I paid them more. People wanted promotions. I created jobs that I really couldn't even afford and gave these people salaries I couldn't afford. I um, We went from from having a, a really nice office to having the dream office that I, you know, all these things that I wanted that I'm not, I don't regret doing, but I wasn't in a financial place to do them. And so what I did is I took out loans and I justified it because I told myself, no, you, you're, you care about your people. All these things are for your people. So this is what you have to do. And I remember there was one time where it was so bad. I was like, I might have to drive Uber. I might have to drive Uber at night to pay myself. Wow. And, and, um, and the company was making money. It's just all the profits that we were making. I was putting it into, you know, it, it would be something like, hey, uh, someone would walk in. I have this idea and we should buy these new fan cleaner things. And I would be like, let's buy 100 of them. Let's give everyone one. You know, I just wanted people to be so invested and excited and engaged that I pretty much the answer was always yes. And then I recognized that you can't be a responsible leader and, and really say you care for people if you don't have the financial stability. Because money is, is a huge thing. I mean, it, it's someone's livelihood. And there was a day where I couldn't make payroll. And I was able to figure it out. Um, but I had to ask my leadership team to hold their pay so that we can make sure every person in the company was paid because our invoice collection got disrupted over the holidays. And so it wasn't like we had the money, you know, but it was coming and it was really scary. And I, and I was thinking, what if I didn't have money coming? What, what if there was no money coming? Um, so that was a huge eye opener for me and a wake up call. And it, I realized, no, if it, Taking care of people also means really caring about the money. So we, we switched. That was, I don't know, five, six years ago. That's when we became a company that totally focused on revenue and the bottom line and making sure certain goals are met. And But I, I've learned it's a balance. And wh- when I said money matters and it also doesn't, what I mean by it also doesn't is if you have an amazing culture and you really care for people and they really feel that and they really feel like you value them, they're not going to leave just because you can't give them the promotion, just because you can't pay them what they're asking, just because you can't give raises this quarter. People understand as long as you're transparent. So it's like money isn't the deciding factor, but it is it is critical if you want to truly say that you take care of people. That was a long answer, but hopefully that makes sense. I loved it. And I also feel as though, you know, I can remember a couple of years ago being in um, – I can remember being in my nine to five job working as a speech pathologist and uh, for a small business. And I remember our boss couldn't, couldn't make payroll. Um, I think 
twice, like right around Christmas time. And I remember how stressful it was. And, um, yeah, you know, I think what's really cool and what I really appreciate about you is that is your transparency, your vulnerability, because I can remember sitting on the forefront of wanting to start a business and being like, Oh my gosh, everybody on Instagram and Facebook, like makes it look so easy and makes it look like, um, you know, you just make a ton of money doing what you're doing. And there's, there's fluctuations with everything and things that you don't see, you know, you can't foresee happening because you don't have the experience with it to know that, you know, maybe money's going to fluctuate or, you know, just the things that you learn through actually doing. So with your, um, what, how do you find that balance of having that culture where people really desire to come to work and show up. And even the fact that you asked your leaders to hold their paycheck and, you know, I don't know what the response was, but that you had leadership that was on board to be able to do something like that and really keep the the company values and vision in mind. How do you find that balance now? Yeah, I think it's about inviting people in to have these conversations with you. I think so often we make decisions for people based on what we think they want and we don't include them in the conversation. And with that, the payroll story is one of my favorite stories because I came to the team with this challenge. I said, look, we can't make payroll. And here's the idea that I have. We can all hold our pay for two weeks, including me. Um, and maybe we can do some sort of bonus for, for doing that. You know, you get an added amount to your next check because you had to do that. And it was two seconds. Everyone was like, absolutely. But what happened after that was so incredible because there was someone on our team who was who wanted to help, but she was just worried financially. She was in the process of moving and every person gave their bonus to her. And um, wow. it was just so incredible to watch them take care of one another. And, and that's what this is about. Like if you build a culture where you're transparent and honest and, and everyone can really be authentic and say what they feel and you, you create this space for these conversations, people speak up about their needs and their concerns and you, people take care of one another. The way that we do our bonus distributions is really interesting, I think. we I don't decide how much to give. I don't decide who gets what. My leadership team and I look at the numbers. We say together, okay, this is how much we think we should do. And then they decide who gets what. And I don't, I'm not involved in that conversation. And we do it. We have a, a student leadership team. We do the same thing with them. So I think it's just like letting the people who the decisions affect make the decision. Same thing with, we just had a conversation around maternity leave. Um, with a group of our leaders. And we don't really have a, a policy um, for that, um, even, you know, for mothers or for fathers. And instead of me making it, I said, hey, guys, what do you, what does what this look like? You know, we all talked about our fears and what we think would make us feel better. And it's just involving people in these conversations, make sure that the there's buy-in because everyone was at the table. And especially that's, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm thinking, especially working with, you know, millennials, people who are, I think, you know, what are in, in some of the ways that, what are you, some of the ways that you see that this, like the millennial generation being that that's, I know the predominantly, I don't, is there, is there a generation younger than millennials that are working at this point? Yeah, are they called? So in my company, we have um, millennials and Gen Z. Gen Z is the generation after millennials. And those are, um, they say, that the people born after 2002. So we have, we have millennials and Gen Z. Gen Z is in high school. Um, we hire as young as high school. But with, okay. um, continue with your question. Where are you going with what do I notice with the generational piece? Yeah. Well, I think 
it's so easy to paint generations with the same brush, right? Like all millennials are like this, all Gen Xers are like this, all baby boomers are like this. And I've never, when, when looking at my company, I've never asked myself, how do I make this work with millennials? It was just, how do I, how do I get anyone, any human being excited to clean? You know, I think that's a challenge no matter what generation you are. So I've, in building my business, I've taken very much, um, I've looked at people for their unique strengths, um, their unique backgrounds, their unique experiences that have made them who they are. And I think that's the challenge of leadership. You need to meet people who, where they are, but you, you can't do that unless you know who they are. So I would challenge if, if you're in a business where you feel like there's a generational gap, think about people as a people and really try to create an environment where people can talk about their experiences in life and what made them who they are. We, we have something we do in our training with every single team member where we ask them to tell us the most defining moment that's happened in their life so far. It's a really great way to build trust and we share our moments as well. But it just helps you see like, oh, this person behaves this way because of that thing that happened in their life. And now I have empathy for them and I understand instead of being frustrated or aggravated. But I do think when it comes to millennials and Gen Z, the thing that has affected us is technology. I think that it affects everyone. But we've had to have we've had to focus a lot on um, training for sort of like the soft skills. How do you introduce yourself? How do you leave a voicemail? How do you build a relationship? How do you have a, a meaningful conversation that isn't from behind a screen? And we actually teach classes that our students are required to take about where they learn all these things before they even learn how to dust or vacuum because it's that important to us. So, yeah, I would say, what do your people need? Figure out a way to give it to them and train them. And then also look at people for the whole of who they are and, and try to learn more about their background and what and what made them into the person they are. I love that. And I love too how you you talked about when the 45 people walked out. I think you, you said somewhere you didn't even know what the majority of their names were. Oh, I so, <laughs> well, and to have this, this transformation into what sounds like an amazing culture that really supports and celebrates people and their individuality and their needs. And yet also as, um, creates, a, you get to celebrate the individuals and also have this culture, um, where people are inspired to come together and work together and feel seen and, and feel heard. What have been some of your biggest inspirations in the way that you created your company values and shifted out of sort of the impersonal, I don't really know what I'm doing to, um, you know, even something as big as having people have a say in, in how the bonus structure goes, what have, what have been some of your inspirations in the way you've built your company? Well, there's been so many, I've learned so much from people, you know, um, I can remember one conversation I had with a student who I thought I knew very well, who had worked with me for five years. And uh, we started talking and somehow the conversation led to she was living out of her car. And I said, what do you mean you're living out of your car? And she had been living out of her car for like months. It wasn't like a, a recent thing, you know, and, and I didn't know that. And I felt so guilty. Here's this person who's worked with me for so long, who who would we have trust where if, you know, you're having a hard time, you could come talk to me. And she didn't. 
And here I am just now learning about it. And once I discovered it, I was able to find a way to help her. Um, and we were able to get her into an apartment. But that really, it, it, it affected me profoundly, but it also inspired me to, to want to make sure that never happened again. And that's where our, um, our culture of really building relationships and really teaching people how to meaningfully connect and um, build trust really that emerged from that experience because I wanted to make sure we had a kind of place where every single person felt they could talk about what was happening in their lives and, and know that we would be able to at least hear, listen to them and hopefully help them. Um, so that was huge. Another time was uh, my mom worked with me um, part-time, <laughs> very part-time. And no one really knows what she does for her job, but we love her. <laughs> and we had this meeting one time where we all talked about defining moments in our lives and the purpose was to bring us closer. And, you know, I thought that I would know her story because my mom and I know everything about her. And she shared a story about her life that I had never heard before. And that actually inspired me to talk more to my parents about their lives. And I learned things about my mom and my dad. And we had this incredible conversation that I will never, ever forget, where I just learned so much. So I think we forget that people walk around with real stuff, and we just don't take the space to talk about it and what, how powerful it is when we talk about it. And so I think um, that that's I'm going to choose those examples because I think that's what I I would say where I've grown most as a person and as a leader is is really learning how to build relationships that are really meaningful where the person on the other end feels seen uh, for who they really are. That's beautiful. Yeah. There's so many, I think, especially with our parents too. I mean, I know we're talking about your company and I think parents, especially I can, they have so many stories and we can, I think it's so easy yeah. to get sort of in the, like the routine of what yeah. you normally do every day or the way you normally connect, um, that it can be really beautiful to just even open the space to ask questions that you've never thought of asking before, even in a, in a obviously, you know, appropriate questions in a working environment right. too, where you're right. going to find somebody, but gosh, yeah, it breeds, um, a whole different level of understanding of, of the people that you're around. So I think I that's had, wonderful. Um, I had this, my my parents and I just took a trip not too long ago and I just got engaged um, at the end of last year. And so I just, I said, Hey, what are some things that you learned in your marriage? You know, like things that you wish you had known or that you, um, you know, where you failed. And, and it was the coolest conversation, like two hours. We had talked about all their failures in their marriage. Now they've been married for 35 years. So it was just really cool to, to, learn from them. And I think those are great examples of they don't, these conversations don't just happen. You have to ask, you know, a parent mm -hmm. doesn't wake up and say, Oh, today I should probably talk to my child about, you know, what I, where I failed in my marriage. So it's like, we have to ask if we want to know. And so I think we all have that responsibility. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently had an experience where I got together with my aunt and uncle without my parents. And we usually get together with my parents and, they were telling me all this stuff about my dad and my grandmom. And I got yeah. home and I'm like, 
what I felt a little sad that I had never, yeah. I'm like, oh, we must always talk about me and what's going on in my life and then making sure I'm okay or, you know, this, that, and the other yeah. thing. And I guess I don't ask as many questions as I thought I did. So I can relate to that. What has been one of your biggest lessons that you've learned this year, um, you know, either within your company or within your life? Uh, what's been the biggest lesson of 2019? Well, let's talk about, since we're on the topic of marriage, I realize how important it is to have a partner who truly encourages you and what you want for your life. And I, I think because I started my company so young um, and I was what others might call successful, I had a lot of trouble finding that partner. And I would go on all these dates and I... And I don't know. I just felt like I had to downplay my, my dreams because the people that I would date couldn't handle them. You know, it was like they weren't yet where they wanted to be. And so they projected on me and I felt like I had to minimize who I was and what I wanted so that I wouldn't make anyone feel insecure about who they were. And I, I, I remember thinking like, I'm not going to ever get married. Like I'm going to be single the rest of my life because I have to choose between success and having a partner and I you know this dream is really important to me and I met my fiance Spiros on a blind date um we're almost at our five-year anniversary and I know I knew from the moment I met him that he was different because when I talked about my dream he wanted to know more and he like challenged me to think bigger and I just I I see now a lot of my friends got married you know five six seven years ago and their marriages some of them are falling apart and I think it's because we, we have this like feeling in our gut, oh, this person might not be the best fit for me or, you know, they don't support me and, and we kind of ignore it. And now here we are and we realize what we want for our life, our partner doesn't support and that's really hard. So I think, I mean, I, I guess it's not a lesson I learned this year, um, cumulative, but I feel so grateful this year that I have found the person that really supports me. And the other night I've been working on this website. I, ha I had a huge deadline. It was due last night. And I just wanted to work late. I wanted to jam to my music and work late. And so I asked him to sleep in the guest room. Um, and he was like, totally, go, like, go get him. You know, he was like encouraging. So I think it's just finding that person and know that if you're someone out there like me where you just haven't found that person yet, it is so worth the wait. And don't settle and don't feel like you have to minimize the person you are and the goals that you have because you're going to find someone who loves all of you. And that's, and that's the person that deserves you. I love that. Thank you. I think that's, that's such beautiful words of wisdom. And you've so throughout this interview, so beautifully, um, you know, we talked about self-care in the beginning and like not hoping that self-care will happen. And I hear people talk a lot about being busy and that they, you know, I can't, I have kids or I have this or I have that or the other thing. And um, what I think is really inspiring as I'm listening to you talk is that, you know, you, you, you have a partner, you went on dates, even though you were busy and you had a company and you, you, it sounds like you really made room for you, you make an effort to make room for life. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to. And, and I think, um, so I have, I have a coach that I've been working with for a long time and he always says, whenever you, you have an opportunity, think about what, what will I regret more? Like, will I regret at the end of my life, not taking this chance or sitting here and answering a hundred emails, you know? And so it's, it's a good way to think about it. Like I'm never going to 
get to the end of my life and say, I wish I would have emailed more or I wish I would have spent more time, you know, working on that or this. Or it, it, it's, it's these opportunities that we pass up because we think the emails are more important. But really, at the end of the day, the email is always going to be there. The work's going to be there. So you have to make sure you're living your life and you're making the most of the time that's, that's given to you in a meaningful way. Absolutely. Something that I really, when, when we have guests on the show, I really like to um, honor the person by really like seeing, you know, what it is that they do and what they create and what they're putting out there in the world. And especially, you know, um, some, I, I saw you had posted earlier this year um, about, it sounds like the same, it might be the same coach that they asked, he asked you to write a eulogy, was it for yes. yourself? So what was it that sometimes I feel like on the show, I'm like, I've stalked your entire Instagram, um, but I did. So I'm just going to call myself out on it. Um, but what is it that, um, what is the legacy that you want to um, leave and the impact that you desire to have on a bigger scale? Oh, and by the way, that's such a powerful exercise, writing your eulogy. It's hard, yeah. but it's so meaningful. Um, I think, well, not I think, I know that I want to change our view of business and the tremendous opportunity we have to profoundly impact the lives of people that work in our organization. And I think um, there's this line that I read in a book, a Wayne Dyer book, um, that I cannot stop thinking about. It's don't die with your music inside of you. And I think every single person has music inside of them. And some need to be empowered to get that music out. Some need help finding the music. Some maybe know that it's in there, but for some reason don't have the courage to get it out. And I think what's really sad is that a lot of people make it to the end of their life and they realize that they never got it out. And I think business can be a place where we help people get that out. And we help them find what their calling is. And maybe it means not in our business, but that's our job. Like we're here to help people realize their potential, even if it takes them away from the job they're in now. And, um, and I think I want to do that. You know, that for me is not just in the workplace in my home. Like I want my children to find their music and I want to really help them do that. And I also have a dream to, um, to be involved somehow in education because I think what we teach in the classroom isn't really, all that matters. I think how cool would it be if we could teach compassion and empathy and, you know, um, all these things that matter just as much as algebra and science, if not more. And I, I don't think grades are the only determining factors of success, you know, so something where maybe I'm, I'm involved in performing what we, what we teach in the classroom um, and what we're evaluated on. But yeah, it was a powerful exercise and it, it's something I keep thinking about, you know, because I think it's like begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to be? And what steps do you need to take now? And how do you need to adjust your life accordingly so that you can make sure you're on that path? Beautiful. Yeah. It, you know, it's so funny. I had, I don't think I've ever heard that quote before. And I was at a training this weekend and um, we were talking about fears. And this woman literally said to me, I have a fear of dying with my music still within me. So it's, it's funny that you're oh. saying that today because I hadn't heard that before. Um, but yeah, I think I, that's such a great point. And to anybody who's out there who is listening, um, you know, if I take this kind of full circle back to even what um, Kristen had said in the beginning is, 
it doesn't have to be always this big, like I'm going to totally disrupt my life and change everything and tear my life apart so I can live the vision of my dreams. It's really taking that baby step. What is it that today is going to support me being able to express what's in myself? And maybe it's just going online, I always say, take any kind of action. Maybe it's going online and Googling, um, you know, taking an art class somewhere local in your community because, you know, you've always really loved painting, but you put that on the back burner because life, whatever, whatever thing in life has shown up for you that you've not taken it, like do one little thing today, Google one little thing if you have to, or try something out or, um, reach out to that person that, you know, you've been thinking about, but maybe have been intimidated to reach out to or whatever it may be. Like there's, there's so much in life to be still discovered and, and seen and life doesn't have to turn into a, the monotony of just going through the motions. There's so much to continue uncovering and digging within our own selves. Um, and there's so much that's out there that's available to us. So I hope for anybody out there um, who's listening, this is your permission to both screw up as well as to go out there mm-hmm. and and just really do something to honor yourself and, and who you are today. So um, Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I would love for you to share where people can find you and connect with you. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so sad it's over. It went by so fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So my, my social media everywhere is Kristen Hadid and um, my book, Permission to Screw Up, you can get that on Amazon or anywhere books are sold and really exciting. Our new website is launching the week of May 20th. It should be live. So um, that's kristenhadid.com where you can learn more about everything I'm, I'm working on. Excellent. And I will um, also post her page to our um, Facebook page once that is launched. So thank you, Kristen, again, so much for being here today. Um, And to anybody out there, again, who's listening, you've been tuning in for, for Dan and I, he'll be on Actually, he won't be on the show next week. We'll have Brenda Florida on the show next week. Um, But, you know, go ahead and follow us on Facebook. Let us know what it is that you like, what um, you want to hear more of, any questions that you have. um, We are here to serve you guys. So um, go out there and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.